0: Welcome to RAQA Today,
1: the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott.
0: Hi, I'm Michelle with Lean RAQA Today, and I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague and mentor, Foz um, Bashi. Foz, you uh, you're a little bit of all the things from a medical doctor to an investor to I looked up your LinkedIn and I lost count and about 10 board of advisors or whatnot so
1: first of all Michelle, thanks for having me here and uh, I, I love being your friend and I always watch the things that you're doing too and it's like incredible how, how do you manage to keep doing all the different things that you do but yeah my, my background's in healthcare healthcare and life sciences and The past 15 years, have been mostly on the investment side of things. So learning about angel investing and then venture capital. And you forgot to mention that I'm a part-time veterinarian too. Not really. I'm not a veterinarian, but
0: play one on TV during the day.
1: I do. I do. And I, this is the first time I'm talking about this, but I am going to point out that I did. And I'm very honored with this uh, opportunity. I'm a, I'm a board of trustees member now of the Morris Animal Foundation which does incredible work uh, around the world um, and a lot of support for basic science research in, uh, in the veterinary space. And so, enough about me. Let's talk about you.
0: You know, I think one thing that I appreciated you at the, about you as that we met about three years ago, I think now, um, as we were- I, feel like, I feel like I've
1: known you for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of took me under your ring. We were both mentors and in, in residents at, at VentureWell, and, you know, we hit it off with our kind of shared sense of humor and then also our shared kind of passion for this life science space. And so, you know, for those of you listening, I am an advisor to one of uh, FASA's companies, uh, Anibus Bio and Product Doggy Stat. But um, Foz has been my long-term mentor since I met him uh, in my business and in uh, helping me navigate certain relationships with certain clients and investments and and whatnot. And uh, recently I learned about your involvement with Portfolio. And that really intrigued me because, you know, I am fairly young for the angel community in general in terms of a woman investor. And Portfolio is all around encouraging not only women investors, but the education side as well. So tell us a little bit more about who Portfolio is, how you got involved.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Yeah, Portfolio has been around for a good number of years. Um, The Femtech Fund is the one that you're referring to where I'm involved. There are several funds. So we focus on women's health and wellness. We did raise fund number one and put a good number of investments in place for our LPs. And then we're on fund number two. So, So let me just describe a little bit more about the premise behind Portfolio. The premise is Trish Costello started it. She's the founder of the Kauffman Fellows Program, um, and a very highly regarded venture capitalist herself. But her premise was that we needed to do more to get women to come to the table as investors. Uh, women do all kinds of amazing things in life, and she thought it was about time that we train women to be investors. So her um, her pitch to me was, "Foz, we want to do a women's health and wellness fund. Would you be willing to be a lead investor? to which I immediately said yes. And I'll explain the caveat to the yes. But then she said, our goal is to train 100,000 new women investors in the next three to four years. Are you you in for that ride? I said, absolutely. So education is a big part of it. Teaching, see one, do one, teach one. We want our LPs. There are 249 LPs, limited partners in every fund. So we max out the LLC structure each one of those investors uh, can come to our webinars and listen to the companies that are presenting, participate in due diligence, and learn from the lead investors about what it takes to be a investable company. So, so that's, that's my, my interest in it. And I think Trish found me through a number of different ways, but we're both, we're both board members of the Angel Capital Association, so we had already known each other. I had already invested in an amazing young woman's, um, women's health company, uh, early stage ovarian cancer testing company that had achieved success. And success for us in the investment world is she got an exit. She was acquired by Boston Scientific for $275 million. And uh, I was a big advocate for her. And I think Trish knew that story. And, um, and I wanted to promote more entrepreneurs just like uh, Serbi Sarna, who started that company. So
0: it sounds like it's a little bit twofold. So you mentor both the trying to get the women in to be, become investors, but also for the women-led companies to teach them how to be, um, like you said, more investable, the kind of CEO business skills as well. So the program is on both sides of the fence there.
1: Both sides of it. And they picked somebody who loves to teach. And so that's mm-hmm. what I do. <laughs> and I spend most of my time helping entrepreneurs understand what they don't understand about the entrepreneurial journey. And also what they don't understand about the mysteries of angels or venture capitalists and how to, how to go about achieving their milestones. For instance, Michelle, you know this, right? A lot of times when I come across entrepreneurs who are having regulatory matters of interest or intrigue, I will ask them the right questions. And then at some point, I'll say, would you like an introduction to somebody that I know and trust? And I would obviously bring them to you. So there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs need. It's a very, very difficult journey. It's not, be, it's not easy being in charge of everything.
0: How have you found working with the women-led companies similar, different than with the companies that are are male-led that you've mentored? And I, and maybe that's too controversial mm-hmm. of, of a question. Mm-hmm. Do they approach the learning differently? Are they more open-minded, closed minded You know?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my perspective on this because you're only asking me. So let's that's not right. generalize to the whole world. But my, my perspective is this. Um, the women entrepreneurs that I meet are, are extremely well-educated, uh, very dynamic and go-getters. And a lot of them are very, the right way of saying this, but, uh, self-determined. They have a strong will, right? Um, and it's not to say that the men aren't that way either. It's just I think one glaring difference between the men and the women is the men are just more willing to come out and just say, I need help here. Can, can you help me do this? Or do you know so-and-so? Or who else should I be talking to? So those very directed questions of saying, I need help. Could you connect me with so-and-so? What else should I be asking? What's missing here? While a lot of times I find that because women are just really so self-sufficient and so capable. And again, not to say that men aren't capable either. It's just, I almost have to tease out that question of like, how can I help you? So I, I'm the one who has to come forward and say, how can I help you? What's missing? And that's how I get to a conversation of truly, how can I help you?
0: Do you think it's a combination of maybe both a little bit confidence and then also a little bit not knowing what they don't know what not knowing what to ask for maybe
1: that's a good question and I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate on the answer I I think really it does come back to the fact that women do everything <laughs> women are in charge of lots of things for their own lives for their families lives for their own kids and their own husbands and their you know and so women make a lot of different decisions I, th- I think it's that. Sense of I got this, I got this, I can take care of this. I don't need to ask for help. Maybe it's some of that, and I'm generalizing. So if you need to edit any of this out, please feel free to do so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to that, the subject about confidence, I think that when you and I first started talking, that that was one of the biggest things that you did for me was give me that shot in the arm to trust myself and my judgment. Because I've always made this joke, I'm better at math with letters in it than math with numbers in it. Like I can, I can integrate a a, a shape and spin it around an axis, but I think you want to put the letters back in and find out how much volume it'll hold. But one of the first things you told me is don't worry about understanding the details of the math and the deal and the terms and the this and the that. At, now trust, like, what does your gut say? Is your gut telling you this deal makes sense or not? Because I'm a naturally intuitive person. And so once I started mm-hmm. operating out of that, the questions I would ask would totally unravel a deal that the people who understood those types of details couldn't ask but because they didn't have the same understanding or perception of the issues I did. So that made a huge difference to me, but what are some other, and that was one of a big piece of advice you gave that made a difference to me. What other are some of the top advice you find handing uh, out to the the portfolio members and to these women leaders?
1: Uh, You know, so, so one is obviously uh, just being inquisitive, not only about what you're doing, but inquisitive curious about, about the whole landscape of what's happening around you. So if you're meeting with investors and you're not curious enough to ask the question of what else should I be doing? Who else should I be talking to? You know, those kinds of things that are, that just shows a general sense of curiosity. I do, I do try to get folks to, um, to think along those lines and then understanding just the, the landscape that, that we're all in, it's not about money, Michelle. It's not about money. It's truly about the human being behind, behind the voice, behind the company, behind the product. It's the human being and the human beings. And I always say, this is a people business, not an algorithm. So again, that level of curiosity about the other person on the other side that's talking to you a level of curiosity about the landscape and knowing that there are a number of dots that need to be connected in, in almost perfection to get to a milestone. Let's say it's the FDA uh, approval, right? There's almost, a, almost like a hundred different dots that you have to connect almost in perfection to get to that point. And now, if you don't do the right things that your regulatory consultant tells you to, that can be expensive, can't it, Michelle?
0: That sounds expensive, Foz.
1: I think you've trademarked and registered that, that yeah. phrase.
0: You've encouraged me to buy the website thatsoundsexpensive.com. So,
1: <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so, so those are the things that I try to get folks to look at, and it's not about money. It's honestly about just being able to think holistically, like you said. You know, like your way of looking at the world, my way of looking at the world may may have a lot less to do with numbers and may have a lot more to do with the feelings color, uh, integrations, uh, things that we're really, really good at. At the end of the day, we're all trying to help a company succeed and help an entrepreneur get to where they need to go. And ideally, that's either an IPO or being acquired um, and getting the product into the marketplace. So, um, so, so that's really what I try to do at the end of the day. And there's only a limited amount of time in those discussions. So, uh, how much can I do? It depends on how much glitter is coming back at me from what's happening with the eyes, the eyes and the mind in front of me. If there isn't much coming back, then it's like okay, <laughs> there's only so much I can
0: do. So, it sounds like that that people factor is uh, is obviously a big deal, and I would assume that that's a big deal for selecting the companies that you invest in personally as well, what are some of the other factors that you consistently look for when you're, you're making investments, not just mentoring the leaders?
1: It, it, it's a combination of things. And um, you know a lot of it does come down to the people factor. I'd say, honestly, about 90% of what I look at is the people part of it. Is there an experienced person talking to me? Is there somebody there that is willing to be coached? Uh, is there passion? is there a promise here who's committed and just gritty as heck because it's hard Michelle waking up every morning facing this impossible list um, I, I really I really try to focus on that people part of it a lot obviously the other parts of it are are key intellectual pro- property what patents or ticket fences have you built around what you're doing? Do you have a big enough market? Do you know how to approach this market? What's your go-to-market strategy? If you're going to consumers, do you really know what it takes to get consumers to buy your product? And then ultimately, there's a lot of other things in between, but ultimately, do you know how to land this rocket that you're building? Because everyone wants, rocket fuel right they think money is the rocket fuel okay great so you get to take off in this giant rocket ship but the success of a rocket ship isn't to go out into space and then blow up success is you go out and then you come back and you stick the landing so landing is, is really important how do you do that and those are the things i look for
0: So you're a medical doctor by, by training. And so you really did play a real doctor, not just on TV, but in real life, how has that influenced the types of products, the types of companies that you're interested in and, and then also, you know, your, your deal lead for the life science angels amongst on board of directors for ACA. And I know you're bringing a lot of that expertise to the investment community as well.
1: Yeah, you know, so I I always say that I'm a scientist first, and and I am, I'm a science driven guy. I spent a good deal of my life uh, chasing after, you know, a whole bunch of different problems, uh, solving problems, but microbiology, immunology, virology, I spent a lot of time doing basic science. And I think what it did for me, though, Michelle, science and medicine together, and then now comes investing, scientific principles of just being able to ask the right question, so being able to ask the right question, formulating a hypothesis around it, building a set of testing, testing strategies, right? So that's what science is all about. I apply that scientific principle to investing. I have, a, I have an investment thesis. So do you. You and I may have different approaches, right? I have a way of testing it by looking out into the community and looking at what's there. It just happens that my entire investment thesis is focused on healthcare. And life sciences. And so I don't actually consider women's health and men's health and animal health to be different. It's all, to me, it's all health care. Now, there are different ways of looking at it. There are different problems, but you have to understand it. So vocabulary, a, um, a method of looking at the problem, being able to, you know, to identify how to say this one looks promising, this one may not and i don't have a crystal ball but this is part of what i do so uh-huh. uh, understanding the landscape being able to ask the right questions reaching out to the appropriate uh experts in the space i don't know everything about regulatory i'll ask you to help me understand is this medical device going to get to where they need to go in a time frame that i'm looking at so uh-huh. a lot of things it's it's about it's about sharing the whole experience with people that you trust
0: uh-huh so that transitions to kind of my next question here but what role does the regulatory guidance and savviness of a company um have do you feel like in the strategic direction of of investors do you feel like investors are asking the right questions and are savvy enough or do you feel like they are kind of trusting that the companies have done their own research and done it correctly
1: so there's a lot of investors who focus on medical device and biotech and pharma and digital health and um, and, and many of them have lots of experience so um, so many of them come from the perspective of, of i've already been there so some come with it of historical knowledge of what that regulatory piece felt like and then there are others like myself who come at it with I have a lot of friends and Michelle is my resource. Can I pick up the phone and call Michelle and ask her a few key questions? The regulatory part of, of a healthcare investment, of a life science investment is, is huge. And why is it huge? Because one, it's another hurdle. It's a hurdle, but it's, it's a barrier for others to have to achieve as well. It's well-defined, but you have to understand the nuances of it. Because if you don't and you make a mistake, what happens? It sounds expensive. expensive. That's, <laughs> it becomes expensive. So it is a major part of the budget of a medical device company to set aside a budget for the regulatory pathway. If you do well, you get to your milestone of getting the approvals. Um, there's time and money associated with it. So investors who are savvy about this space will reach out to the experts and then the companies that are savvy and they don't always have all the resources because many of them, this is the first time being an entrepreneur, they need to find the trusted resources in the community who, who provide those services. And, and they're not, as, they're not all as great as you are, Michelle, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> and that's, that's the way it is. Right. And, uh, and again, that's what it all comes back to. I said trust a couple of times. When you meet people that you like and you trust and you see results, those are the people that you wanna stick with uh, going forward with your, your ventures.
0: I've seen investors that, uh, that make several mistakes in terms of maybe it's somebody who is now retired, they haven't been playing in the medical device space for mm-hmm. a while and they were maybe a CEO of a medical device company that had an exit. And they're trying to compare the person's regulatory strategy now to what they did 15 and 20 years ago. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, so, yeah, 1990 called and they wanted their regulations back. It's not not the same anymore. I mean, just, you know, it's not the same as effective in Europe May 26th of this year as it was on May 19th of this year. So... Uh, yeah, so I just see see investors also miss. They're just not up to date, and they're they're implying their own their un- understanding now, thinking it's state of the art, and it's really decades old.
1: And that's a problem. It's a it's a problem for investors. It's a problem for entrepreneurs when you make those assumptions that you know you know for sure what you're doing. When you make those assumptions you could be in for a big, big surprise because things change. Mm-hmm. Things changed during COVID, didn't they, Michelle? I mean, yes. a lot of things change. And, and some of the rules that we, we have now with COVID haven't really changed yet back to what we thought would be normal. Right. They're going to stick around, and right? So. So
0: they were in the early stages of COVID. They were changing every three to four weeks for the first three, yep. three months or so. It's making me crazy to try to keep up. So as we kind of get ready to wrap up here, talk, talk to us a little bit about, um, we want to hear the story of Doggy Stat and how you got involved there. And and it's a pretty cool product. I'm a a personal user and well, my dogs are users and let's be (laughs) clear. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that.
1: No thanks. So, yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, um, I, I'm in the animal health space, and I do love it very much. And you have dogs at home, and 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 all my friends who have dogs or cats or horses, they all love their animals. the 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 new reality of this marketplace now is people are looking very carefully at the ingredients of foods and even medicines that they give to their animals, and we all want. And especially the, the new Gen Zs and the Millennials want natural products that don't have any sort of side effects. And so DoggyStat kind of came about with that principle in mind of how do we help resolve stomach upset and potentially diarrhea from various causes with a food product? Uh, and I have a really good regulatory consultant who's kept me very, very tight and Straight her name is Michelle. Um, <laughs> it's the right gift that I always tell people. Michelle's laid out the bumpers for me. And she says, "Stay right in here, because if you do, then you'll get a strike. You'll be good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stay on the bumpers and and do your bowling that way." So, so what we what we found was that people are uh, wanting natural food products that could have uh, an impact on resolving stomach upset and diarrhea. And Doggy Stat was born from that, and it's made from eggs and milk um and the milk is colostrum the eggs are our intellectual property we did get a patent issued this year in april so i'm 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 basically touting what we look for in entrepreneurs too which is a a proprietary position we have a patent it's broad it applies to all animals including agricultural animals and so uh so and we did a whole bunch of veterinary-led field studies. They're not full-on clinical trials, but they're field studies. And we have so many veterinarians and their stories about how they use the product to resolve various kinds of issues. We don't tell them how to use it. They just basically uh, use it for different conditions, and, and then they're off to the races. So that's exciting. And being in a space where we're really providing the market with what they want which is natural products and that's great. And so our next product will be kitty stat and then we'll go off to horse stat and cow stat and <laughs> other things like that. But it's a beautiful story and I'm delighted that you're you're also a big part of our our journey.
0: Yeah, no, I'm proud to be. So my next question comes from our buddy Dave. I told him I was I was interviewing you. <laughs> and I'm like, what should I ask for us? And he says what dog breed do you wish you invented and why? And I'm going to turn it around and say, what dog do you wish you could be and why?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a very good question. Wow. So uh, is he on the line? Is there like a caller? Do people dial into this session and they get to ask questions? Is that what's going on here? This is you know, um, I, I, I and I love all dogs, and I'm actually, I'm a big fan of mixed breed dogs, right? And I think Dave is trying to get me down to the pure, purebred level. But mixed mutts are my favorite. So, obviously, if I could be a mutt, I'll be a mutt. But, but if I were to choose, like, a breed of what ties really well with my personality type, I would probably say probably a Jack Russell or an Australian Sheep. Too much uh, brain activity on how to do things, which Jack Russells do a lot of. And, and sheepdogs are just notorious for, like, every time they see a herd, they want to herd them, right?
0: <laughs> oh, <and laughs> so I, I
1: think I have those, te- those tendencies. Uh,
0: for me, um, I, I'm with you. Almost all my, my dogs, my whole life, have been mutts, uh, with the ex- mm. exception of one, which was still a rescue dog. But I ended up with a, mm-hmm. a pug. And by gosh, if that is not the happiest living thing on the face of this planet. And, and it's, it's like living with a cartoon character.
1: Are you talking about Marty?
0: I'm talking about Marty. I call him. Uh, he's the CEO. He's the chief entertainment okay. officer. So, folks, if you're, you're listening and you can leave a comment, we would love to know what your uh, what dog you would be and why. Uh, so please, uh, leave a comment and, uh, uh, either on the podcast or YouTube or LinkedIn, wherever you see this. So Foss, thanks for sharing an hour of your day with me as always it's a blast. And, uh, thanks for being on this, this journey with me.
1: Thanks for having me, Michelle. You're the best.